Grace 412 podcast listeners, it is actually Friday. We are a day behind, and for that, I am truly sorry. Uh, Yesterday, we had a bunch of uh, construction going on upstairs. We were kind of finishing up the Engage class, and so shout out to the Kleins and the fourth through sixth graders. They've outgrown the room that they were in, and so they blew a couple of walls out and they've got just an awesome room there as that class kind of prepares for the next step as they're getting ready to transition into Grace 412. And so we're excited for them, excited what God's doing in the fourth through sixth grade Engage class, excited what God's doing uh, in Grace 412 as well. We started this new series uh, two weeks ago called Counterculture. We talked about Daniel. We talked about how we can stand up and stand out for our faith and make a difference by being different. And remember, we laid this foundation that we're not talking about being the enemies of anything new or different or exciting or trendy, right? We had the XB Awards on Sunday night and we were looking fresh. We were looking trendy. We were looking good. We were looking modern and there's nothing at all wrong with that. Remember, culture is just the way of life for a specific group of people at a specific time. What we're talking about is going against the norm. Uh, We're talking about standing out and being different Uh, in this day and age, but even in biblical times, there was this culture of sin and brokenness and selfishness and self-sufficiency and defeat and pride and, and all these other things that become just cultural normalities. And what we're talking about is standing out for our faith, standing out for our love for God and love for others. And so tonight, as we talk about counterculture, we're going to talk about probably the most familiar story ever, not just uh, among Christians, but even those that don't believe the scriptures know the story of David and Goliath. But what we're going to see tonight uh, through how the Israelites responded to Goliath and through how David's brothers responded to the, the Philistine armies and through how uh, all these other people responded, we're going to see uh, our culture parallels much more the Israelite culture than David. Our hearts parallel the other people in this story much more than David's. A lot of times when we hear this story, it's like, oh, you're David, you're brave, you're strong, you're worthy, and God's given you a Goliath because he knows you can handle it. And Wednesday night, we kind of channeled our inner Matt Chandler in and made sure to proclaim, we're not David. More often than not, we're like a lot of the other characters in the story. And so we're going to study out 1 Samuel chapter 17 and kind of see uh, where it is that we fall into place, where it is that culture falls into place, and how it is that we can make a difference by being different. So it's 1 Samuel 17, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. They were gathered together at Shoko, uh, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah uh, in Ephesdemon. And it says in 17 verse 2, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array uh, against the Philistines. And the uh, Philistines stood on a mountain, On the one side, Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And so we know the story again. Israel's up to battle against the Philistines. Israel on one side of a valley, 
the Philistine army on the other side of the valley, and then Goliath comes in. Some people, historians, argue that he was only four cubits in his span, which would have been about eight feet tall. We believe the truth of the Bible, and it says he was six cubits in a span, which would have made him about 11 feet tall, and he wasn't just a tall, lanky guy, but he was a champion. He was a warrior. And so he, he comes out and you look what he says. We'll skip down to verse eight. And it says, he stood and he cried out unto the armies of Israel. He said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you. Let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and I kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And so you see Goliath here, he's, he's alongside the Philistines challenging the Israelite people and more specifically making a mockery of them and even making a mockery of God. And it's important for us to just stop right here and acknowledge the reality that sometimes we're like Goliath. Our culture is in direct opposition to God's will to God's nature, to God's design. We are in direct opposition to this. You see this in the world today, right? But you see it even within our own hearts. Goliath says, we're going to do things our way. We're the Philistines. We're in control. We'll be defiant and we're going to do what we want to do until someone bigger or stronger stops us. And you obviously see that in the culture of the world today. People calling evil good and good evil. People saying things like my truth instead of just the truth. But you see this in our own lives as well. We say, I get to decide where I go to school and who I'm going to be and what job I'm going to have. And God, he can just try to stop me. And we might not verbalize that audibly because we understand how foolish and rebellious that would be. But in the way that we live, we act as if we believe that to be true. And we are in direct opposition to God's will. And so I would just encourage us with the truth. God is always in control. That even when we are farthest away from what we feel like he would want us to do, even when we're living in sin and direct opposition to his design, that he is still in control and he is using all things for our good and for his glory. And so we can trust him in that. Sometimes we're like Goliath, but you go on to read in verse 19, it says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. They were fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning. He left the sheep of the keeper. He took and went as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight, and he shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brothers. And as he uh, talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, because they were so afraid. They were very afraid. So David and his brothers had gone to battle, right? David went home to his father. His father then, uh, after David had kept the sheep, his father says, hey, take uh, the men some food. And so David comes back to battle. And from verses 9 through 24, you see multiple times where it says the Israelite people were, uh, were sore afraid. They were very afraid. Sometimes we're like the Israelites, a culture of fear and paralysis. See, we talk about like, oh, I'm just like Job. I'm just like Daniel. I'm just like Jesus. I'm just like David. But you know who we're really like more often than not? We're like the Israelites. We are terrified 
of everything. We're afraid people won't like us. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of being hurt. We're, we're afraid that we're going to have to sacrifice. We're afraid that we'll be uncomfortable. We're scared of something new and different, but we're scared of stagnancy and we're scared of staying the same. We are constantly living in so much fear that it leads us to a point where we end up just doing nothing for the kingdom of God. And once again, we talk about counterculture. We think this is uh, a culture of fear in the unsaved world. And it's easy for us to make jokes about all oh, the political left and the liberal snowflakes and these people that are scared of illness or, you know, whatever, living in fear. But think about this. We're the same way. What did the Israelites do? They huddled in their tents, crowded together with the people like them that were all just afraid of the enemy. And if we're not careful, we as Christians will develop a culture of fear that leads us to do the same thing. We stay in our safe little circles with the people that think and feel just like we do, never facing the true enemy and never seeing God's true power on display. But not David. Look what David says. David in 1 Samuel 20, 17, 25, he says, The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his fathers uh, free in Israel. And then David spake to the men that stood by him. And he said, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine, takes away the reproach of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David said, look, whoever does kill this man, he's, they're, they're like, he's going to get riches and the king's daughter and all these other things. And David's like, hey, he defied the armies of the living God. Are we going to let him talk about God this way? You see, they, they identified the enemy was Goliath. And they said, hey, if we can defeat this enemy, man, we're going to get riches. We're going to get the king's daughter. We're going to have wealth and security. You have to know the real enemy, but you also have to have the right motivation. See, a lot of us are taking a stand against the enemy, but it's not the real enemy. Remember, the real enemies are Satan, sin, and self. A lot of times we have a misidentified enemy as that unsaved person or the person that views things politically different than we do, or the the family member that gives us a hard time, or the person that's hurt us, or the place where uh, we struggle the most. We, we identify that thing as the enemy, but the enemy is Satan, sin, and self. And our motivation is also just as important. We have to have the right enemy identified, but we have to have the right motivation as well. See, a lot of times we're doing things for satisfaction, for status or security. You see that in verse 25. They say, hey, the king's going to give him riches, give him the daughter. That's satisfaction. He's going to be totally free and wealthy in Israel, status, status and security. They're in search of the wrong thing, even when they're fighting the right enemy. But you look at David's motivation again, and he says, hey, are we going to let him defy the armies of the living God? David says, hey, forget your honor. Forget what you're going to get. We're not going to let him talk about our God this way. And then the story continues to look at who comes in next in verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those sheep from the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. And you are come that you might see the battle. So his brother comes in and he's like, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be watching your sheep? You've come so you can see the battle, haven't you? You came so you can make us look bad. A lot of times we're like the brother, a culture of assuming the worst. 
You see this progression, right? Like the Philistines, I'm going to do what I want to do and you can't stop me. Or like the Israelites, I'm afraid to do anything at all, so I'm not going to do anything at all. And then the brothers, even if I did do something, I'd probably just fail anyway. Our culture is so good at assuming the worst. And this is where fear thrives in negativity. Another way to frame negativity, assuming the worst. See, fear and assuming the worst, it places an unknown, it places a, 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 what we think is a known reality on an unknown future. We, we give the answer before we have it. We don't allow faith to play a factor. And these brothers, they fit right in with the culture of the rest of the Israelite army. They didn't just assume the worst about David, but they assumed the worst about themselves, about their situation, about Goliath. They said, nobody can beat him. And then David comes in and it's like, you just came to watch the battle. They assumed the worst about even their family. And we can be the exact same way. But again, not David. David said to Saul, hey, let no one's heart fail him because of him. Thy servant will go and I'll fight this Philistine. Verse 32, David says, hey, I'll go and fight him. And you know the story. David gets his sling and some stones. He tells Goliath, hey, God's going to give me this victory. Goliath charges. David hits him right in the head with a stone, knocks him over, takes Goliath's sword, kills Goliath with his own sword, and a battle is won, right? And then what happens next? David goes viral. His word of David's victory spread throughout the land of Israel, and people start saying, you know, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his tens of thousands. David goes viral, and then you fast forward to chapter 18. David becomes best friends even with Saul's son. He's uh, appointed in Saul's kingdom, right? And you look at verse 18 and verse 8, it says, Saul was very wroth. He was very angry, and the saying displeased him because he said, They have ascribed unto David 10,000, but to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can we have? He have more but the kingdom. Saul says, What can David do now? What else can he take from me except the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. One last point, one last thing that we struggle with. We're a lot of times like Saul with the culture of jealousy and internal struggles. I know there's uh, kind of machine gun fired facts here, but all of these things, all of these broken cultures, all of these uh, broken systems that we can fall into, all of these patterns that we can fall into, they point back to a broken world and a broken culture and internal struggle. We rebel against God like the Philistines. We cower in fear like the Israelites. We assume the worst like the brothers. We're proud and we're jealous. We seek after our own gain like Saul, after our own satisfaction, status, and security. That's the normal thing to do in our day and age. And that's the culture that existed then. That's the culture that exists now because of an internal struggle. Even Paul said, the stuff I know I should do, I can't seem to do. The stuff I know I shouldn't do, that's the stuff I keep doing. And so how do we fight against that? How do we push back? How do we stand up and stand out for our faith? How do we make a difference by being different? How do we allow the Spirit of God to turn us into a person that lives for Him instead? First thing you'll see is David only cared about God's glory. We're going to fire these off real fast. David only cared about God's glory. You see that when he talks to the Israelites in verse 26, he says, "'Who is he that he should defy the armies of the living God?' 
You see it in verse 36 when he's talking to Saul. He says, hey, I, I, serve, I, I slew a, a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. He says that to Saul, verse 36. And then verse 45, David said to the Philistines, hey, you're going to come with a sword and a spear and with a shield. But he says this, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He seeked God's glory exclusively. David only cared about God's glory. Number two, David remembered what God had done before. David remembered what God had done before. When you uh, fast forward to chapter 17 and verse 34, David's talking to Saul, and Saul's like, hey, you're tiny. You're not a warrior. You're not going to be able to defeat this enemy. And David says in verse 34, hey, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, I smote him, I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, I smote him, and I slew him. Verse 36, we just read it. Your servant uh, slew both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion... And out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David remembered what God had done before. David said, when I was a shepherd, he allowed me to defeat a lion. He allowed me to defeat a bear. He protected me in those moments. And God can do the same thing here. David only cared about God's glory. He remembered what God had done before. And then David served with wisdom and humility. You see it so much through 1 Samuel 17 and 18. You see it in verses 14 and 15. He went back from the battle to keep his father's sheep. In verse uh, 17 and 18, he obeyed his father. He brought food and served his brothers. In verse 20 and 22, it says he left early. He left somebody to watch over his sheep. He left somebody to watch over his carriage. And then in verse 36, he referred to himself as a servant when talking to Saul before he slayed Goliath. And then in verse 58, it says he remained a servant even after slaying Goliath. And then in verse 18 and verse 5, it says he remained a humble and faithful servant. David served with wisdom and humility. And so how do we fight against jealousy? How do we fight against internal battles? How do we fight against fear, against assuming the worst? How do we live counter to this culture? Like David, we seek God's glory above everything else. We remind ourselves of what God has already done in and through us, and now, most importantly, in and through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through us. And we continually and consistently serve with wisdom and humility where we are with what we've got for God's glory, by his power, in his spirit. That's our goal. That's our purpose. And so we're going to be back next week, continuing this counterculture series. Can't wait to talk to you next week. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm.